Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, folks. 43 degrees, a little melting in your house or neighborhood, I would bet. Uh, Our backyard, part of it's a puddle. Part of it is still banks of snow. And part of it is green grass. (laughs) But I guess that's what you can expect this time of year. Uh, Great to be back here on Saturday night. In just a few minutes, we'll chat with uh, Sloan Martin, who's going to talk about some of the stories that she covered. She was at that big gun hearing at the Capitol. And she was also at the farewell tour of Winter Park. And I can't tell you how many hours I spent probably staking out situations at Winter Park for, and obviously I'm not a sports reporter, but it was usually when I was there, it wasn't exactly great news for the Vikings. <laughs> and there were a few of those moments over the years, I should say. Can I ask, did you cover the Love Boat scandal? Yes, I spent hours there at the Love Boat. And of course, you know, they had the parking lot. They let us stand in the parking lot. And yes, we would wait for people to come and go and just happy times, happy and, times. And that was, I believe, 2001? 2002. Oh my gosh, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to go to the Google, aren't we? But uh, you know, the Vikings have had their share. I, I must say, to, to the current administration and owners' credit, yes, there have been problems. Yes, there have been news stories out of there, but they have not been of that nature. And I think that that is a reflection on the current coach and the current ownership. I would think. But I spent a lot of time in that parking lot. You know, people think that this is a glamorous business. <laughs> Spent a lot of time in that parking lot waiting for Vikings officials and uh, Vikings administrators to come out and and players as well. And then also there was the sale and, and the, the sale that fell through and Red McCombs and, um, oh, the, the famous author that tried to Tom, uh, Tom Clancy. And uh, the Vikings have had a lot going on for a long time. And uh, anyway, it, it was I, my question, though, what's going to happen to the Viking ship? Maybe Sloan I believe it's that. moving. I it's believe moving. it is okay. moving over it, there. it is iconic and, and, and very cool to see. But And I haven't been to this new facility in Egan, which really sounds uh, like it's going to be amazing. I mean, there's going to be a stadium there that high school teams are going to use. Uh, the Wolves, obviously, the owners of the team are real estate developers. It sounds like they've got plans to definitely develop that entire area. It sounds like it's already sort of going full steam ahead with that. Um also, we're going to talk about that gun meeting. Uh, then uh, for the rest of the show, we're going to talk um, the next half hour with – this is an amazing story that you're going to want to hear. This is a woman who had heart disease at a very young age, and it was misdiagnosed. And her story is one that's very important that you, you definitely want to listen to. And, and it's not something you expect when you are a, a woman who's sort of under 40 and or under 50 – and it is – many women are, are succumbing to this. And then at 8 o'clock, we're going to have the big boss of the web coming in. He is the big czar of the WCCO website. You mean 7, not 8. 7 o'clock, yes. Did I say 8 o'clock? Yes. yes. 7 o'clock. He is also a great movie reviewer. That was kind of his gig. But now he's you know gone onwards and upwards. But we're keeping the tradition alive here with the one and only Eric Henderson calling the Oscars, which are tomorrow night. 
And then it's going to be great to come back uh, at 8 o'clock with the one and only Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. So let's take a break. We're, we're going to check in with Sloan Martin uh, from our newsroom to talk about some of the stories she covered this week. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. All right, folks, we are back here with producer Jonathan Lowe and Sloan Martin from our newsroom. And Sloan, you were out at Winter Park for sort of the farewell tour, and it doesn't sound like the Vikings were giving a lot of answers about what's going to happen to that very large space. They've got the indoor practice field, the outdoor practice field, and a huge office space. I mean, tens of thousands of square feet, and even this new... Uh, facility is going to be double that size. So this is still really big in and of itself. There's several buildings that are on the property too. The uh, Wilfs own two of them. And we were told from uh, PR, the uh, Wilfs weren't present there for this kind of final walkthrough, but really no future plans announced. You'd think who would be able to use this kind of space with the football fields and the office space that goes along with it. So I don't know what the exact answer is. There's going to be another walkthrough of the brand new facility in Egon Friday. And, uh, I don't know uh, which of the Wilfs is supposed to be there, but they are supposed to, and maybe we'll get an answer then. Right. I mean, and that place is, and I have not been there, but this is obviously the site of the old Northwest Airlines headquarters, and it's enormous, and they're going to have a stadium that's going to seat several thousand that is going to be a practice facility, but also they're going to let high school teams use it, which I think is really cool. One, One question we did answer, and thank you to the listener who called in, the the iconic Viking ship, which actually we were all going to the Google here, as Chad Hartman says, to to look it up. Uh, it, the Viking ship is actually on a, a site called Roadside America that talks about great iconic landmarks on the side of the road. That's in it. That's going to stay. Well, it's certainly iconic. So it's I certainly can iconic. Imagine. Yes, that, <laughs> and we got that from via the Southwest. Uh, right. Give credit to Shakopee Valley News. Uh, had reported that back in October at a luncheon that uh, the Vikings were hosting. Uh, Ziggy Wolf, I believe, had explained that the ship is going to stay where it is. Right. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of people go by that ship. So every day, that's a very busy place. Now, you were at a, a very big hearing at the state capitol where there were two major gun proposals that were up for debate. It, they didn't go anywhere. Tell us about sort of what the proposals were and what the mood was like there. Well, this came up in the House Public Safety Committee, so it's still uh, kind of being discussed in the earlier stages, but legislators obviously trying to take action after the Parkland shooting. So the two bills on the table, and this is uh, introduced by Representative Dave Pinto, the first was background checks for all gun sales. Another And and we've got them where we don't have them is for personal sales. So if I have a weapon... And I want to sell it to you, Sloan. Uh, I don't have to do a background check, or, or, or you don't have to get a background check. We can check. just exchange. We, we, can, we can just do it privately. And it's a small percentage, but it's a significant it's number a still. Yes. Um, and, and that didn't seem to go anywhere. No. And then the second one was for law enforcement or family members to petition a court to say this person is a danger to themselves or to others and should not be in possession of a gun right now. We know how common, of course, this conversation has come up because of mass shootings, but how common domestic violence shootings and fatalities are. So this is really that family-oriented, trying to uh, really get at what leads to domestic violence fatalities, and most of the time it is guns that end up 
uh, killing people, whether it's intimate partner violence or domestic violence. We just saw that at Central Michigan. And uh, so those were both tabled. And it was a pretty close vote. The first one was nine to seven. And uh, it's interesting, the uh, the approach here that's uh, being taken by Republicans here in uh, the state legislature, because even Republicans, every major poll shows, whether it's right. PIAC, USA Today, how supportive Americans are of universal background checks. So during this, we also saw testimony for law enforcement officials all spoke in favor of both of those bills. They were not on the other side. Well, it, I mean, law enforcement, they're the ones who have to respond to these incidents. They're the ones they have who to go also face to face with these guns, too. Absolutely. And, and I think especially I think law, in domestic violence situations, it, incredibly dangerous. And, and law enforcement has long you know, advocated for this because they're being met with the same kind of power, firepower. In, in fact, even more you know, powerful weapons that, than they have. So that's why law enforcement officers are, are almost universally you know, supporting of these measures. But it, it's so interesting because I don't think this issue is going to go away. With the president weighing in, it was a stunning reversal. Um, it, this is going to be incredible to watch. It is really interesting. And that's why I think the politics is interesting of it, too, because you seem to have the public support for doing something, for finding compromise. But Republicans, at least in this House committee, not budging right. so much to move this forward. And the only folks who spoke in opposition of these two bills were all from gun rights groups. Right. There was uh, a pediatrician who spoke in favor. They had a little bit of more variation there, but it was all gun rights groups. And they are concerned about due process. You're taking away people's guns without uh, legal right. proceedings. And uh, they were concerned also, of course, about Second Amendment rights. Well, you know, the first one seems pretty straightforward. You know, that one, okay, if you sell, if I want to sell my gun to you, then you would have to take, get a, a background check. The second one, I can see how people would be, how do you determine what, where is the, the, how do you figure that out? Who's not fit to have a weapon? And it's very difficult, you know, even trying to perhaps commit somebody who, who's, you know, older, I mean, it, this is a, these are tough issues. I mean, what were the standards they talked about? The gun rights advocate said that that this could be manipulated. Let's say that if a woman leaves her husband and buys a gun to protect herself, then the let's say the estranged husband could try and get that gun removed from her. But because you're basically trusting these family members. But at the same time, there was another woman whose brother died by suicide. And they said that or this woman said, uh, testifying before the House committee that she, her entire family was so frightened that he owned a gun and they knew his mental state was not mm. great. And they knew that he was in possession of a uh, a fatal weapon or lethal weapon and that he ended up taking his life. And it was like they could see it coming yes. and couldn't do anything about it. And it was interesting to have suicide as part of the conversation, too, because no one really talks about gun violence when it comes to someone taking their own life. But that is such a huge part right. of um, gun violence right. is suicide. So maybe if you know you do have these bills, maybe that would save right. loved ones. And, and I mean, that's, that's such a, an excellent point. I mean, obviously, if someone has a conviction, then they're out. But then there's, you know, the, the private cells. A anyway, but, but it is, that one is, you know, I'm going to talk to, about that with Professor David Schultz because that is a tough one about where do you draw the line. And I think the example that you gave of perhaps a woman separating, uh, getting a weapon, you know, and then suddenly the, the husband who's still married to her says, oh, 
she's really off balance, she's off kilter, she's a danger, and you have to, are you dragged into court? I mean, that and process that's the thing. is difficult. This is all done through the court. It's not just law enforcement coming into your home and snatching the gun from you. You have to petition a judge, and I don't know how, how exactly that would proceed, but I would assume you would need, like, a little bit more evidence than just one person coming forward and saying, hey, this person's unstable. You'd probably need multiple people to maybe vouch right. for the way things are, you know, the circumstances at the moment. So I assume there is uh, a little bit more in-depth of a standard before it's just snatched away and your Second Amendment rights are just dissipated. Right. I, You know, I do think that there's obviously a lot of public support for these gun control measures. I will say, though, you know, when I've done, you know, radio or Facebook Live segments, there are a lot of people who are gun rights advocates who strongly disagree with these measures. What's going to be interesting is the um, p- people like Moms Demand Action are saying, just wait. This is the year. And if we don't get it, watch out in November. And we'll be watching. We'll be watching. Can they deliver on that? And it's not just the moms. Watch out for the kids who are now right. 18 years old and who are watching uh, peers their age take this activist stance in Parkland. But it was interesting to talk to both sides. They were all crammed in together. This is hundreds of people. And it was interesting. Things weren't really all that tense or confrontational. They were just kind of standing right. around. But it's interesting. Uh, last week, I was in there for another rally when mm-hmm. the um, legislative session began. Oh, yes. So that was more several right. hundred people. And it is it's a lot of moms. They brought their kids. They had entire right. families with them. And, and this was the first day of the session. And I did talk to one of the organizers of that rally. They were expecting maybe a couple of dozen people. Just delivering signatures. Just delivering signatures. Yep. And there were several hundred. And when you get to that kind of critical mass where people just sort of start coming, I do think that matters. I do think that that's an indication that there's something bigger than this, uh, that bigger than, you know, what's happened in the past. So I, I do think that that's and she was she said they were just blown away. They were absolutely blown away. There were that many people there. And I've asked them, too. Are you feeling discouraged after both of these two uh, bills were tabled? Now, DFLers say this doesn't mean they're dead. They're going to come up again. And they want to say to Minnesotans, you know, make your voice heard if this is really how you feel strongly about things. But on uh, the gun rights activist side, they say, well, we already have the laws. So that's pretty right. much where they stand. Yeah, we need to focus more on mental health. And that's what the discussion and that's that on. slides into that second law that you were talking about. And I know, for instance, in Minnesota, and it should be hard to commit somebody. You know, it should be hard just for, for mental health reasons to a facility or somebody who has uh, dementia. All of those things are, are, are difficult. But at, at what point is the person's rights on the line? And that's, that's why I'm going to ask Professor David Schultz about that. I don't think it's the last time where this is going to come up, I'm not sure anything's going to get done. I really don't. In well, this it's a short session. session, too. Yeah, right. just like you said, I think it ends with the third week in May. Right. So we may not see much action at this point, but you just feel this groundswell of support right. and how passionate people think about this. Every person I talk to says, I have a child. They're in kindergarten. They're in second grade, and they've learned these active shooter drills before riding a bike was one Right. Uh, a woman said to me, so I can tell how passionate people are right. about this. Well, you know, and, and I have I have teenagers who are in high school and, you know, one of them, the sophomore came home the other day. and She said, well, mom, you know, the, the head of the school kind of talked to the sophomore class and said, you know, kids, I just want you to know my job is to keep you safe. And I said, 
Well, I think I'm glad that he said that. Um, I said it makes me sad that he said that because that should not be any teacher's job or, or, or administrator's job. Really, their job is, is to educate kids and to make sure that they have the opportunities. And it just – it saddened me. And, and so we, we talked about it. But I thought – you know, and I'm, I'm happy that he said it. Um, but I just – it it did. It, it really saddened me. And I, I think these teachers – Amongst teachers, and then this talk of arming, arming teachers, I, to me is just absurd. I, I think that that is something that that you know you've got. If somebody's going to be a threat in a classroom, and you've got a teacher there with a weapon, I mean it's, that's the reason you don't have weapons in prison for prison guards because of, of the danger that that poses. Can you imagine kindergarten teachers like sitting down, cross-legged, ready to read a book with a gun holstered to their belt? Right. But it's and and also just it's also and you you've been in, in the newsroom here, the number of threats that have been received and, and kids are are really scared. I think uh, they really are because they go into a lockdown. You know the situation Orono, this latest situation in Badness Heights. That's scary. That's really scary is. for these in kids o- in Ohio recently. And for parents, I might add. Did you catch the story in Ohio where a seventh grader brought a rifle to school and was planning a school shooting, but at the last second decided not to and then turned the gun on himself? They're just within the two, couple of weeks since Parkland has happened, there's been these cases in Georgia, a teacher locking himself in a classroom and firing one round. It's just been bizarre and highly charged stuff going on. Right. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the legislature. I mean, I, I had to put money down. I don't think that there are going to be any laws that pass. I could be wrong, but it will be interesting to see if, in fact, those warnings from you know, people who are advocating gun control, that, that there will be, frankly, quote, hell to pay in November. Let's, let's just see, because there's going to be a lot on the ballot. we got two Senate races. we got, you know, four very competitive U.S. congressional seats. The entire Minnesota House is up. Um, so it's going to be an interesting election season. Well, Sloan, thank you so much. This was great for sticking around. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Esme. Okay, the one and only Sloan Martin uh, from our WCCO radio newsroom. Well, we got much more ahead, as I told you. Uh, this is a, a fascinating story, and I actually heard this woman on WCCO-TV, and I said, we've got to get her on the radio. story about heart disease in a woman, mid-40s, not that old, folks. I know for some people that might be old, but not in my book. Uh, her story is remarkable, and it's important for every woman to hear. And then, 7 o'clock hour, yay, the web guru, the czar. Weighing in on the Oscars, so you got to stick around. The one and only Eric Henderson, and of course at 8 o'clock, Professor David Schultz. I'm still recovering from that weather forecast of 4 to 5 inches snow possibly on Monday. Yikes, keep it here. And of course, the one and only Dave Lee will have it all on Monday morning, so you got to check that out. But uh, I want to talk this half hour about heart disease. And uh, this is, uh, I guess last month was heart Health Awareness Month. We're just out of there. But uh, we did have on uh, on our WCCO mid-morning show a woman that I, I just was spellbound by her story because it, it just was something that I thought, oh, my gosh, this could have happened to me or to my friends or to any other woman that I know. Uh, her name is Carrie Kerr, and she is uh, joining us right now. And Carrie, am I pronouncing your name correctly? You absolutely are, yes. Okay, Carrie. Wilson, thank you so much for coming on. Tell us your story and and how old you were when this kind of all went down. 
Sure. It was um, two and a half years ago. So I was 46 at the time and I was training for a hundred mile bike ride. And I noticed when so I was you, the, those, out, those of us who train for 100 mile <laughs> bike rides, like you, me and Jonathan here, I mean, Jonathan, right? Yeah. You're, you're training for your 100-mile bike ride. We are in great shape. So obviously you're in good shape. You're working out. You're doing it all right. Yeah, I, well, I was trying to be. It was My goal was to complete my first 100-mile bike ride, so it's not something I did on a regular basis. But, um, you know, I was yes, I biked a lot, and I worked out. I ate decent. I wouldn't say I was, you know, perfect in my eating like most people are. And I was when I was biking or working out, I would notice a weird sensation in my chest. And it kind of it bothered me, but I didn't think much of it. I thought maybe it and, was. And how long were you? How long were these bike rides that you were going on? Oh, I mean, some of them were like five miles, and some were twenty-five. Okay, so, so, so significant ones. I mean, it, it, yeah. And, and when you say it, it, like a feeling in your chest, did you feel that? Oh, this is just because I'm working out a lot. Um, or did it feel it different? Allergies. It, it felt a little bit different, and you know, as um, single woman, you know, independent, just kind of blew it off a little bit, like, oh, it's nothing. But then it started to act up more. Um, and I noticed one time when I just got up from my desk at work and walked to the printer, it happened. And can, can and you kind of describe for us what it felt like? Yeah. Was it a tightness? Yeah, absolutely. It, no, it wasn't a tightness. It was what you would think it would be. It felt like um, a vibration or what I would tell my, I told my doctors when I went in was it felt like kind of like glass was going through my lungs. Ooh, kind of up to my okay. chest. So it wasn't, it wasn't painful. Pain. No pain. It was, not necessarily painful. It was just like something weird was going on in there, and I couldn't put. It was almost like a vibration in my chest, and um, wow. I went to the doctor for my annual physical, and I told them about it at the end of it. I said, "I've got this thing going on." And they said, "You have any history of heart disease?" And I said, "No, not in my family." Uh-uh. And with the exception of a grandparent who had a heart attack at eighty-five, and they said that doesn't count. So it should be an and, and was the grandparent a, a, a man or a woman? Man. Man. Okay. All right. So again, it just they don't think about it in women. So my first doctor told me she thought it was acid reflux, and she gave me some medication. Um, about two weeks later, it was still happening, so I went back, um, and they said, "Well, new doctor went into the clinic, and she said, well, I think you have asthma.'" So they put me on an inhaler. And I remember I did a long bike ride. It was about 45 miles up north, and I was at my aunt and uncle's house, and I came home, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to get through 100 miles because it was really hard. to. It was really bothering me. My chest was really bothering me. I still was not thinking about my heart at all. And so the, the so second I'm, doctor has told you yeah. asthma, and, and you, you've got your little yeah. inhaler. Inhaler, yeah. And then about four days after that bike ride, I stood up at 9 o'clock at night, grabbed my dog. I was going to go get my 10,000 steps in. And so we were going to do this short loop that we always do. And I got about a block and a half to my house and it went up my neck and down my arms. And then I got scared and I knew something was really wrong. I could breathe fine. My Fitbit told me my heart rate was going crazy. And I was Oh, really? So you had your Fitbit on, which measures the, Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I don't have a Fitbit, but I do have something similar that I don't wear all the time. Where I, when I was wearing it, at least it measured my my steps, but I didn't have it. I don't know if it yeah. actually did. But this was showing your heart was going crazy. Yeah, and wow. so I knew something was wrong. Um, and it's embarrassing to tell the rest of the story because I finished the walk. <gasps> oh, <laughs> and I, I finished the walk just taking a really deep breath and trying to calm myself. 
And I got home. I stood in the backyard with my dog, like I normally do. And when I stopped, it, the sensation went away. Which, looking back now, right, 2020 vision, when you look backwards, it was clearly my heart at that point, but I didn't know it. I came inside, and um, I passed gas, and I felt better. So I thought, oh, I just ate something weird, you know, and I'm not going to the hospital over gas. So I texted a few friends and told them about it, and I said, I'm going to talk to my doctor in the morning. And the next morning, I woke up at like 6. Thankfully, knowing what I know now, I'm very thankful I woke up the next morning and I my charted my doctors and said, hey, there's something going on. This is not asthma. Can I come in? And they said, sure. Can you come in about 2.30 today? Sure. So I went in and it was a new doctor because I just went to the clinic, you know, local clinic. And he said to me, I'm just going to run an EKG just to rule out your heart. And I ran an EKG and as I was getting ready you know, getting back dressed, he opened up the door and he said, I need you to go upstairs now and see a cardiologist. I don't like what I saw in your EKG. Wow. And, and this, said, is, this, is, right this is the third doctor that you've been to. Yes. Oh. Yeah, the third doctor. And I said, oh, okay. And the nurse said, I will take her up there. And I've been to this clinic a million times, right? And I usually just run the stairs up to the second floor. And she's like, no, no, no we're taking the elevator. You're not taking any stairs. So they weren't telling me anything. And I started to figure something was going on. And another nurse greeted me at the elevator and the doors open. She handed me an aspirin, said, eat this right now. I said, okay, eat it. And she said, chew it up now. And so I did. I went in and I sat down with a cardiologist, Dr. Burke. And he said, I don't think you need to go to the hospital this minute, but I won't let, let you go past the weekend. So this was Thursday. And he said, tomorrow I want you to come in and we're going to do a procedure called an angiogram. And it, it was really overwhelming because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how serious this was. You can't comprehend it. Um, and so I went in the next day and they found, you're awake during an angiogram. It's something a lot of people don't know. And it's very non-invasive. She went through my wrist. So I was laying there on the operating table. And, and what, what is it yeah. exactly? I've heard that term before, but... Yeah, th- they th- place fluids into your arteries, okay. and they see where the blood flow goes. And they're looking at and they're taking pictures from different angles. And so they can see everything that way. And then he said, it's what I thought it was. He still didn't tell me what that meant. He said, I need to place a stent in your heart. And I said, Okay. And I could feel it at one point, cause, but there's no, you don't get drugged or anything because you have no nerves in your heart. Oh. And he said, um, he was a really fantastic doctor, and he, he just said, you're good. And I said, well, can I go home? Do I have to spend the night in the hospital? Because I, I still was not comprehending everything I'd been through. And he said, yeah, you can go home tonight. So that's how easy the procedure was. Wow. I, went, I had to stay for like four hours, five more hours where they watched my blood pressure, and they brought everything back up in me because they really, I I don't know all the technical parts of it, but I had a lot of blood pressure things going on in that time. Um, But my blood pressure is fine and it's always been fine. It's still fine. So it's not blood pressure. My cholesterol has been always a little on the high side. I really had no, no pre-existing conditions. I had no family history. There was nothing out of the ordinary, but the doctors just never thought to run an EKG when I was in there. Let me ask you, what what did they tell you would have happened had you not gone in and not had that? I would not be here today. That it was that serious? It's that It's that simple. It was in my LAD, which is your, uh, what is it, the left 
anterior descending artery. Wow. And it's your main artery, and it's also called the widow maker. It's just, most people refer to it as that. Or, you know, or the widow or maker, because it can happen reason. in women, too, obviously. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, Car- so, yeah, Carrie, um, we do have to take a very quick break. When we come back, um, and, and there was a 95% blockage in her LAD, a.k.a. the Widowmaker, 95%. And again, you're 46 years old when this happened, which is not that old, no, no history of heart disease before. Let, I want to take a quick break, and I want to go back, because I know that you've been out speaking and talking to people about your story as, as a word of warning uh, to women, especially to advocate, you know, if they get a diagnosis that doesn't quite fit. Uh, but I want to talk about those misdiagnoses, because I, I have to imagine this is happening to other people, and especially other women as well. So more with uh, Carrie Kerr and her remarkable story of being diagnosed after she went to the third doctor uh, with a very critical heart condition. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It's 43 degrees, uh, 648 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy along with uh, producer Jonathan Lowe. We're talking with uh, Carrie Kerr, who is a survivor of of a devastating uh, heart condition that was misdiagnosed two different times. The first doctor, when she was feeling sort of odd uh, pains as she was training for a 100-mile bike ride, the first doctor told her, 46 years old, very good health, obviously fit, that it was acid reflux. The second doctor said asthma. And finally, the third doctor sent her to the cardiologist, and it was diagnosed with a massive blockage uh, in her LAD, a.k.a. the Widowmaker. Um, Carrie, when you go back and, and think about those misdiagnoses, what, how common is that? And it's just so scary because you can't be the only person this is happening to. No, absolutely. I, I at the time, worked for an insurance company, and we talked about this actually in meetings a lot. But I have good insurance. And I um, was raised to, you know, take care of yourself and things like that. So I kept, I kept going back and asking questions. But there's a lot of people that, A, couldn't take the time off work to go to the doctor or couldn't afford to go to the doctor. And, or or, or else go to a, a doctor, doctor three times. You know, yeah. or, or the doctor said this, so I'm just going to keep taking my medication. and hope Because the doctor's always and, right. Right, exactly. So I I went back because it just it scared me enough on that walk that I went back that third time and I was I'm really lucky and I stood up for myself and one of the things I learned in cardiac rehab um, that really stuck with me what they said to me is your body wants to live so it will send you signals so it was sending me signals saying hello pay attention hello pay attention and a lot of us especially women busy. Um, I'm not a mom, but a lot of moms out there don't listen to their bodies because they're so busy taking care of everybody else besides themselves. And um, when you listen to it, you pay attention, you do something about it, hopefully you'll catch whatever's going on. Right. And and, our medical care in the the Twin Cities is so great. It's just sort of mind-boggling that that, the two doctors miss this. I mean, are there any kind of figures or statistics on how often this happens? And does it happen that much more often for women? I don't know the, the statistics, but I am very aware that it does happen for women more than men. Um, it is not top of mind for most doctors. And I was going into just a general internist, right? And they don't think women, women mid-40s, they don't think heart disease. 
more and more, I think it's becoming something that that's why I said yes. I've said yes to interviews and and told my story on social media with a lot of my friends because it it can happen to anybody. There's no rhyme or reason to why I had one bad artery, right. and and I do. I have one bad artery. That's it. And they can't give me an explanation for it. Right. And so, you mentioned you were in cardiotherapy, or what is that? Yep. Went to cardiac rehab. So oh, cardiac rehab, excuse me. After any kind of heart surgery or heart procedure, they recommend cardiac rehab. And what my what my doctor told me, and I didn't appreciate it at the time, and I do appreciate it now, which was the physical part will be easy carry because the mental part will be very hard. And I didn't really get it because I really I was trying, still trying to take in what we were going to do the next day. And what what he really meant was you realize that how close you came and how fragile your heart can be because we take it for granted. And what I did in cardiac rehab was get out back on treadmill, get back on a bike, lift weights, the whole time hooked up to an EKG so they could watch me. And the thing is, as I was not alone in there when it came to 40-something-year-olds and younger. There was a lot of women in there in their mid-40s and younger that had larger surgeries than I did. They had the cracked open chest, found themselves in the emergency room or, or waking up from surgery after a massive heart attack. Right. Um, it's not an old. It's not an old man's disease anymore. Right. And and you know, I mean, we, we think, all, you know, at, at WCCO TV, and certainly everybody listening has heard horror stories of even kids, you know, high school athletes mm-hmm. who, who who succumb yeah. to this. So it's it's something to to be so wary of, but it, it is just remarkable to me that you know somebody tells you you have asthma, you know, where you're in your mid forties, you probably never had asthma before, and gives you an inhaler. Right, never and ha- never did a test for asthma; just assumed wow. it. Um, and, and, and so there's, there's a whole other story there, right? But yeah, absolutely. And I was really, I'm really lucky. Actually, would like to go back to the doctor who did diagnose me and thank him. Never, I don't know, I'm sure of his name. And everything happened so fast; I'd never seen him before. Right, or maybe go back to the other doctors and say, "Hey, listen, this was actually a very serious." heart disease condition that, that could yeah. have killed you. Um, I know that you have um, talked, you know, in your bio here that you have joined a, a gym and are working out. Is that part of your rehab mm-hmm. as well? Because obviously you were Absolutely. working out before. That's the thing. I, I was working out. The The big thing that, um, the sign that really made a difference, so that, yes, I had that weird sensation in my chest, but it really came down to, I used to jump on the elliptical or my bike and do long rides and do a couple miles on the treadmill and then go lift. And I was having a hard time completing even one mile. I was so tired. I'd come home after work and just want to go to sleep. And that is a, that's a huge sign. And we also think it's, oh, I'm really busy. I thought this is mid-40s for a woman. This is what happens. You get tired. <laughs> you get yeah. tired, right? Right. And, um, and so I was taking all that on, just assuming this is just how my life is going to be now as I'm getting older. And they told me, again, in cardiac rehab, they were like, absolutely not. When you have a drastic change in your, your energy level, that's that's a sign from your body also. Something's going on. Right. And then and so and, I joined, um, yeah. No, and, and again, that I, sensation that you that you described, I've never heard it quite described, like almost like shards of glass going through your lung. Yeah. Um, it yeah, just, it was very different. when I breathed. Yeah. Yeah. And it is very different for women than it is for men. Um, jaw pain is common. Neck pain is common. Uh, there's been I've seen a couple shows that have done a really good job about um, showing off how it is very different since then, and it's just something to pay attention to. And so when I was coming through cardiac rehab, 
after I got out of there and I was no longer on EKG, some shame was somebody watching me. I really wanted a personal touch. So I have a friend who belonged to Bodies by Burgoon up in Northeast, and I went up there and talked to the owner and, and just told him, I, I'm a little afraid to start working out again, and yet I need to work out, and I want to go someplace where I'm not just a number. And I, I met with Jason, the owner, and we had a great talk, and I started working out there. I've been there since now, so it's been, I guess, a little over two years. I just went this morning, and my arms hurt now from it. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and do you get regular checkups to, to check on how your heart is doing? I was going in once a year. Well, first it was every six months, three months, six months, and then now I'm on a yearly basis. And my last appointment with my doctor, I came off blood thinners, and I'm only on cholesterol meds, and that's only, even on my cholesterol, my cholesterol is excellent now because I'm on them, but it's really to make sure that nothing else happens. The one thing to note is that if you tell anybody you have a sentinel idea, a medical professional, they take it very seriously, and they're very cautious with you at all times. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate your sharing your story here. And I know that, you know, yeah. I was in the studio when you were talking to uh, I think Jason and Kylie uh, over at TV about what happened to you. But I just thought uh, th- this story is really unbelievable because I think most people think when they do go to the doctor that the diagnosis is going to be right and the doctor knows best. And, you know, you kept yeah. pushing. And as you said, you know, you're you are fortunate enough that you have good insurance and were able to go you know, to different doctors to seek out what was wrong with you. And we're so glad that you're doing well. And I certainly want to thank you for uh, joining us this evening. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Hopefully it'll help somebody. Hopefully. I'm sure it will. I have no doubt that it will. All right, folks, much more ahead on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme. Um, Coming up in our next half hour, this is a treat. The one and only Eric Henderson. This is a great guy. He actually runs WCCO.com, our website, but he also is an awesome movie reviewer. He will preview the Oscars coming up. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.